Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Matthew 21 from 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And and there you will find a, a donkey tied there. Uh, with her coat by her. Untie them, and if anyone says anything, say to them that the Lord needs This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna the, the, the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? When the, uh, the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the, the prophet from Nazareth, Galilee. That was great. I love the uh, expression there. That was so fun. I love kids on stage. It's like the most entertaining thing ever. I'm just, I mean, worship was happening, of course. You know, my heart is there for worship, but I'm just studying all of them and uh, looking at all of them. Grace, who came out right front and center, uh, she's, she just loves the, she loves the stage, hey? Ashley's her mom over here. I don't know what you did, Ashley, but she loves... She, that must be Brad. That must be Brad's side <laughs> coming out there. And then just the sheer confusion, terror. It's great. The things that we subject our children to. It's a lot of fun, right? But they were waving these palm branches around. And uh, as Jared mentioned earlier, we are at Palm Sunday, which is a little bit 
wild to think about that we are already a week away from Easter, less than a week away from Good Friday. It feels like it is sneaking up a little bit, and we've been trying to not have it sneak up and be able to enjoy and look forward as we've been talking about Lent and kind of preparing ourselves for this Easter season. Brandon and I were... um, We were away last week. We were in Vancouver with friends of ours from a church called Avent Life Church there um, in North Vancouver and Squamish and a couple different areas there. And it was a lot of fun. We were at a retreat um, and speaking there to their leaders. So it was great. We got home very, very late Friday night. We're still missing a playpen. It just never showed up off the the plane, which is okay. It's fine. It was an old one. Um, But we got home very, very late Friday night. Yesterday was a great day trying to reset, but this morning the jet lag fully kicked in for our family. So if you see our children, please be patient with them. They are tired. I got one of them dressed lying down while she was crying this morning, so I won't mention which one. There were, we have three girls and a boy, so you can't just pick it out based on, but it was one of the girls for sure. But... Uh, I'm excited to be bringing this word this morning to you on Palm Sunday as we are celebrating Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem as king. And this is really significant as we're moving into what we would talk about in the church as Holy Week, right? This week leading up to Jesus's death and resurrection. And we come at all of this with hindsight. We live in the light of the resurrection, but it's interesting to look at the Jewish people at the time who are excited to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, and then everything kind of shifts. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. And if you're taking notes, I don't often title my messages uh, anymore, but I thought I would this morning. And it's a little bit of a, like, it's, it's kind of a funny title, but I hope that it actually sticks with you. And so I'm titling this message, Keep the Palm in Your Palm. Keep the palm in your palm, all right? It's a little cringy, but I bet you'll remember it. Why don't we pray and then we'll get into the text that was just read for us. God, I thank you that we can be here. I thank you that we can gather and worship you and come together as a church family. I just pray that you would speak through me as we reflect on what happened so many years ago that would be so significant for us today. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you were so purposeful in everything that you did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever been to a parade? Have you ever been to a parade? A couple hands. Many people have not been to a parade. Can we try that again? Have you ever been to a parade? All right, yeah, that's what I thought. I, that's, I'm like, this can't be like an irrelevant thought here that, that we go to parades. When I was seven, I went to uh, Disney World. I've been trying to get back there ever since. But uh, Brandon says, no, you can't go without the kids. So I don't know. Jury's out. I know there's some adults here who love Disneyland. Uh, We went there, and they have parades, I'm pretty sure. I mean, this is my seven-year-old memory, but I feel like on the hour. Like, there's just people parading about. You got Minnie and Mickey Mouse. It's a whole show. We were uh, there with my whole extended family. We actually got to dance in the parade, um, and that was exciting. And it was just like a big celebration at Disney World. I'm like, they know how to do it. If you've lived or um, been part of this KW community for a long time, we have the Oktoberfest parade uh, every year. I mean, there's Santa Claus parades, but I don't even think those are worth mentioning just based on uh, what 
what typically happens. I, they're just not good, okay? Those ones aren't good. Oktoberfest is okay. Like, we get some bands that come from outside of the KW region, and, and people just kind of line the streets. Uh, if you've never been, basically what you're missing is people line the streets with, um, with chairs and blankets and coffee, and people, like, walk up and down the streets selling pretzels. It's a whole thing, right? We, you know... Uh, there's a huge German presence here in KW. And um, then a whole bunch of floats go by. And the thing is, is that it's the exact same floats. Uh, you know, I'm 31 years old. It's been the same floats for 31 years, okay? We go every year. We see the same line. We see the same castle. Sometimes there's a different group sponsoring that float. But otherwise, it's the same floats. And yet we still go on Thanksgiving weekend in the morning. I don't know why exactly. But we do, and it's great, and it's a parade. And that's a thing. Now, a parade for royalty would have been a little bit different here of what was happening when Jesus was making this entry into Jerusalem. And maybe if you've watched any of the royal weddings or seen any of that going on uh, over in England, it's pretty wild, the turnout that happens to welcome in and to possibly see royalty come by. And Jesus' triumphal entry marks a really significant piece in Jesus' ministry where something shifts here. Jesus is coming in as king, and a parade is set before him. A large crowd gathers to welcome him into the city. This is significant. People are laying down their jackets, laying down their cloaks so that he wouldn't be riding across the dirt, but would be able to ride across their coats. People are cutting down palm branches and laying them on the ground so that he would be ushered in as a royal. We are seeing that people are waving palm branches and they're celebrating and this huge crowd is gathering. It's causing a stir. Something is happening in Jerusalem. Those who weren't part of that crowd are going, what is going on here? Like Jesus' entry shakes things up in Jerusalem in a really significant way. And what we're seeing here is Jesus who walked from place to place to place over the past several years, without making a lot of uh, significance on himself, right? He's constantly saying to the disciples, like, no, let's not make a big deal out of this. He's telling people that he's healed, like, don't, don't share who I am. All of a sudden, something shifts, and he is taking his rightful place as king. This is a big deal. As he is headed into Jerusalem, he is coming in as king. But something seems a little bit off here. Like when we read this story, something seems a bit off, something that's not quite expected because he doesn't come in in a powerful way. He comes in in a way that is purposeful for himself. You see, everyone would have expected a king to come in on some royal war horse, right? If you've ever seen any of the Shrek movies, this is what came to mind for me. When all of a sudden Donkey changes from Donkey to a stallion and he's like this white flowing mane. You can look it up if you uh, don't know what I'm talking about. Um, have a little movie afternoon. But he's got this like this steed mentality, this war horse. And that is what people would have expected a king to be ushered in on, right? This kind of, this, this powerful, strong horse. And yet what we see is Jesus coming in on a donkey. This seems a little bit confusing. We're like, okay, why is he coming in on a donkey? And yet he deliberately and visually demonstrates that his kingdom, just even through this act, is far beyond and far different from what we would have expected it to be and what we would expect it to look like. See, he holds in tension his kingship and this lowly and gentle kingdom that he offers. 
As Timothy Keller puts it, he brought together majesty and meekness. In Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. See, he embodies all of this in this cohesive manner and this cohesive introduction to a new way forward. You see, there's a lot of significance in this week that leads up to Jesus' death on the cross. There are a lot of different things happening. We're going to talk about them a little bit, but there's so much that we could easily sit in when it comes to the week coming up to Good Friday. But I want to talk a little bit this morning about this very large crowd that's mentioned in this text. There's this very large crowd that has gathered around to usher Jesus into Jerusalem. They're on the sidelines. They're celebrating Jesus' entry. It's an exciting time. But I wonder, what happened to this very large crowd less than a week later? By Friday, something has shifted. When when suddenly Jesus is being crucified on the cross, where is this crowd? And how does this apply to us today? What can we learn from this today? You see, there's this debate Uh, if people that were present at the triumphal entry were actually present when Pilate was all of a sudden putting Jesus on trial and asking the crowds, do you want to, uh, do you want me to release Barabbas or do you want me to release Jesus? Like, what are we doing here? This guy's a criminal. This guy's not a criminal. Like, what should we do here? And there's this debate amongst uh, scholars and theologians to go, okay, was this the same kind of crowd? Like, we're the same people actually present for that triumphal entry as we're standing there yelling, crucify him, less than a week later. Like, was the crowd that fickle? So some scholars say, yes, they were. Like, it it shifted overnight, and that crowd shifted and, and turned, and they were that fickle to turn. Other scholars believe that the crowd was not fickle, and that those who called for Jesus to put to be put to death were made up just of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the people who were against Jesus, wanted to see him arrested, wanted him off the scene because of the stir that he was causing, those who were opposed to Jesus all along. But regardless of whether it was the exact same people that were there a week later, or it was a different crowd entirely, what we see is a shift for those in Jerusalem from one that is celebratory and curious, proclaiming Jesus as king, to one that is sinister and calling for his death. The public opinion shifts, whether it's the exact same overlap, we have to ask ourselves, where was that very large crowd then? Did they just decide to stay home? Did they just kind of back off? What, what's actually going on here if we're not seeing them coming and being present? You see, in our world today that is steeped in pride, this cancel culture, hurt, offense, and self-sufficiency, I think we are actually at risk on missing out who Jesus really is, just like the public opinion shifted in this text. Whether it was the exact same crowd or not, and we look at the crowd as being fickle and, and switching, I think that the public opinion of today, the public opinion of the church today, our own personal hearts can actually be quite fickle. You see, a lot happened in that week between Jesus entering Jerusalem and him being sentenced and put to death on the cross. 
He goes into the city at, at this triumphal entry, and then he goes and stays the night in Bethany. And then the next day on his way to the temple, he curses this fig tree, which can really seem confusing to us in scripture. But if we look at it and we look at it more closely, we can actually see the symbolism of how the fig tree was, uh, seemed ripe to produce all of the fruit. And yet there was no fruit there. And, and, it, and, and Jesus curses and says, you weren't able to fulfill what you were called to do. And we can see the symbolism of that with Israel and being ripe to produce what it was caused to produce and yet unable to fully do this. And then he goes to the temple, which had become a marketplace, and he cleanses the temple. Not to put out the Gentiles, shockingly, but to actually create this as a place of prayer and devotion to God. And then Jesus does much teaching and discussing with the religious leaders. Jesus uh, teaches on the parable of the two sons, of the evil farmers, of the wedding banquet. The religious leaders are questioning him about paying taxes, the resurrection, the greatest commandment. They're trying to stump him. So these different conversations that are taking place. And then he eats with his disciples. Judas prepares to betray Jesus. He does betray Jesus. And then we see these different trials happen. The arrests take place, and he's on trial with Pilate. And Pilate gives the opportunity to release him, and instead, the crowds are shouting, crucify him. So what happened? In that amount of time, what happened? It's interesting, this triumphal entry is one of the few stories that are recorded similarly in all four Gospels. So we see that this is significant. So what happened from this triumphal entry to all of a sudden Jesus being put on the cross and dying without without the judge and jury really having any cause or reason to do it. See, regardless if it was an identical group of, pe of people, a public opinion has a big pull. I think many of us have experienced this as we see different challenges and different conversations and different things arise, even in our current time. In 1972, Irving Janis, a a social psychologist, introduced this term that we're probably familiar with today called groupthink. And this idea is basically that if there is a large enough crowd or a belief that the, public or that the group opinion is the same, we are more likely to go along with that group opinion than to dissent from that, even if it pushes up against our moral or ethical understanding. This can be in a small scale if you're working on a group project at work or maybe in school, and all of a sudden it seems like everybody is kind of on the same page and you're like, I don't think this is right, I don't think, but I'm just going to keep quiet and I'm just, just going to jump in with everybody else because that feels cooperative. Don't we do that as Canadians so frequently? This can also happen on larger scales, right? When the public opinion all of a sudden shifts and it seems like everybody is going along with this one way of thinking and maybe that's what we ought to do as well. We need to be careful that as political, social, cultural tides change, that we are not pulled into the undertow of the crowds or fear this cancel culture that exists. I wonder, are we willing to proclaim Jesus as king when it isn't comfortable? When all of a sudden things aren't, aren't feeling as comfortable anymore? You know, we did a series um, a while ago called The Good Life. And it's this idea that at one time, we Christians, believers in Jesus, were seen as like the moral do-gooders, right? The, the kind of boring people. And now all of a sudden things have shifted where Christians are often actually seen as immoral, as the ones who are exclusive and, and the ones who don't have it figured out and the ones whose morals and ethics are actually counter to what society wants or, or deems as being moral today. This is a confusing time. It's not a comfortable time to be a Christian. 
It's not a comfortable time to proclaim the name of Jesus. It's not a comfortable time when you're reading company policy or you're going, can I, can I actually talk about Jesus in my workplace, in my family, on my social media? Can I actually do this in these spaces? So how do we keep the palm branches in our palms, so to speak? How do we keep proclaiming the name of Jesus? How do we keep seeing Jesus as king in our own personal lives when the doubts or frustrations or, or conversations or uncertainties begin to happen? How do we continue to welcome him in? And the first thing that we need to do is we need to check our expectations. You need to check your expectations. All of us have expectations in a variety of different settings, and oftentimes we're not even fully aware that we have expectations about it. Sometimes our expectations are, are seen above and beyond. So our expectations are low, and then something happens, and it's actually a really good thing, right? It exceeded our expectations. Last night, um, Brandon and myself, and actually the Taves as well, we were at a fundraising gala for the Pregnancy Center in KW. It was a lot of fun. It was a great dinner. And they did this cake auction at the end, right, to raise some more money. And, and we had like a, a meager budget, I would say, for this cake auction. We're like, this is kind of the amount that we can go to. Maybe we'll get something we probably won't. Lots of generous people there, there last night. But Brandon was like, I just want to get in on it, right? These butter tarts are going for like 600 bucks. And we're like, we just want to get in on this a little bit. So Brandon leans to me. He's like, I'm going to go in early on one of these uh, items just for the fun, right? It's, we know it's going to go beyond and we know it's going to be whatever. And so all of a sudden a cake comes up and they're like, $100. We're starting the bid at $100, which I mean was within our, our uh, plans to spend at least that much. And Brandon throws up his paddle and we're like, yeah, that was fun. That was cool, right? You got to put your paddle up. 125 No one? 125. All right, 100 going once, going twice, sold. And we're like, how did this happen, right? Our expectations were so low that it would go much higher in price. And all of a sudden, we had a cake delivered from the cake box to our table. It was Jen's birthday. We were able to all eat it and celebrate. It was lots of fun. But sometimes our expectations are low and things exceed our expectations. Sometimes our expectations are high and things come under it. And sometimes our expectations are just plain out of alignment of what they ought to be. You see, much of the expectation for the Jewish people at this time was as they had this long-awaited Messiah that they were looking forward to, and there were murmurs that Jesus could maybe just be him. The expectations were that the Messiah was going to be quite political, that the Messiah was going to be powerful in, in every physical sense of the word, that the Messiah was going to come in and drive out the oppression from the Roman Empire and would actually free up the Jewish people so that they would have this, this freedom. And so when Jesus is coming in, they're expecting that this is going to be finally their freedom, that they're finally going to be released from oppression. Here he comes, the King, the Messiah that we have been waiting for. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's uh, throw down our coats. Let's wave our palm branches. Let's usher him in. I mean, it's a little weird that he's on a donkey. Not sure about that. But here he comes. The expectation was high. The King who can save us. But Jesus didn't come to fit the temporary expectations of the people. He didn't come to create a kingdom that was short-lived, that would just overthrow an empire for that time. His kingdom is universal and transcends time. 
In John 18, when we uh, see the account of Jesus' death and the, the events that lead up to that, John records Jesus being questioned by Pilate. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. Like, listen, I could take care of this right now. But now my kingdom is from another place. He had the foresight of what his kingdom was. And some of us are expecting something from Jesus, being Christians, or maybe you're coming in here and you are not a Christian, that we were never promised. Like some of us are expecting things out of Jesus that we were never promised. Jesus riding into Jerusalem was representative of a much bigger kingdom than simply overthrowing the Roman Empire. But the expectations of the people was that the Messiah would be different from how he actually was. So I wonder today, are we, are we expecting Jesus to be who we think he should be? Or are we looking to who he actually is? Sometimes I think it's more comfortable and easier and, and, and gives us the good feels if we have just kind of like an inspirational quote kind of faith. Like the ones where it's like a verse that's like listed on a coffee mug or like one that we can uh, write in our journal and like cursive writing and feel really good about, right? We want to lean on those verses that, that talk about comfort and peace and joy and, and just hold on to those things that things will be good. And because I have Jesus, my life should be fine. And then all of a sudden we're trying to sort that and figure that with the, the struggle and the challenge and the suffering that we still seem to experience in some capacity. It's not that those other things are not there, but we're confused as to why we have to walk through and go through these things. And we question, is God good? And we're looking at it through the wrong lens. We're taking it from our comfort and what we want Jesus to be instead of looking at the majesty and the incredible king that he actually is. You see, hurt comes from unmet expectations. That in itself may be a word for someone here today. That when all of a sudden we've placed expectations on someone or something or on the body of Christ, the church, if we've placed expectations that really are not meant to be there, we've got to check that out for ourselves because we are setting ourselves up to be hurt. You need to check your expectations on what you're expecting God to be, what you're expecting the church to be, how you're expecting your family to be. How, this can apply to everything in life. Our hurt comes from unmet expectations. And our expectation can't be that Jesus will do whatever we want him to do in our timeline for our convenience. Our expectation needs to be that his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and that we are going to surrender to him. The second thing, if we're going to actually stay in that posture of seeing Jesus as king, is that we need to consider who we listen to. You see, the public opinion shifts from Sunday to Friday drastically. The public opinion shifts so far that Jesus is all of a sudden arrested. You see, a, a couple of years ago, a buzzword around Christian circles um, was this idea of deconstruction. Deconstructing, right? Deconstructing faith. And basically what this was is saying, everything that I've learned, everything that I have grown up believing, everything that even scripture says, everything that theologians and scholars for thousands of years have looked at, I might know better. So I'm just going to personally pull apart all of those pieces and see what happens. It's an interesting gamble. This doesn't mean don't ask questions about faith. This doesn't mean don't get good answers about faith. This doesn't mean don't wrestle with that. I've done all of that for many years. 
But this idea of deconstructing and pulling apart, I'm not sure why you'd want to burn down your house. But regardless, this was an idea that people had and unfortunately left a lot of individuals sitting just in a pile of rubble going, I don't know what to go now because they were listening to the wrong voices. I love how um, Pastor Brandon responded to this uh, at the time saying, uh, it's interesting because deconstruction asked the same question that the serpent did in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say? And the thing is, we don't have to be confused in our faith. We don't have to get to this point of going, I need to look somewhere else to see if I can actually have a solid faith. Sometimes we get this idea that the Christian faith is so confusing. And if the Pharisees at the time were trying so hard to stump Jesus, we're trying to demonstrate this confusion. We're trying to say like, this doesn't make sense. How are you going to do this? And they're doing it all publicly and trying to get other people to question the same thing. And over and over again, Jesus refuses to take the bait. It's like your heart is not in the right place and you're not even going to be able to hear it. I can't take the bait from you. He simplifies it all while answering the call to this complex world. The Christian faith is simple, but yet there are a lot of very convincing, fear-driven voices out there, and we have to be careful about different agendas, brokenness, misinformation that comes out around Jesus. We have to be careful who we are listening to because this can greatly affect our perspective. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus teaches, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. One of our values is being faithful, following the words and the ways of Jesus. It's all there. We can see what he is saying. We can see what he is doing and following those. And faithfulness breeds fruitfulness in our lives. We need to remain faithful as we're growing, even when we don't know everything. That's okay not to know everything. We're going we're gonna to get there. But we don't need to look at our lack of knowledge and understanding at times as a God problem, as somehow he isn't enough or isn't sufficient and we have to go look elsewhere. We need to see it as an us problem. And give ourselves the grace that we are still learning and growing. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We need to be careful of the voices that we are letting into our lives that can shift and challenge and change the public opinion that's going on here. Are we solid? Are we building on Jesus? And the final idea here is that we need to surrender to Jesus as King. If we're going to keep being able to celebrate him, waving those palm branches, so to speak, seeing him as king, we actually need to have a posture and a heart of surrender. And this takes repentance. You see, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's such a posture of peace. But why did he do this? He could have ridden in on a horse. It's to demonstrate his kingdom, but even more deeply, it is to fulfill a prophetic word that was given in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming. Righteous and victorious. Yes, we want that. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Jesus was coming in to fulfill all of who he was. The prophetic word gave it many, many years ago, gave indication of who he was and it wasn't exactly what they expected. If you're going to stay in a posture of acknowledging Christ, we need to trust and believe that he is king, that he is who he says he is and have the faith to rest in that. This is a celebratory time. This is an exciting time. But I don't want to miss the main point. I don't want to be so full of pride. I don't want to be so full of myself that I miss the opportunity to surrender to Christ as King. I don't want to be the person questioning and murmuring and wondering, is this actually Jesus? I'm going to go with the Pharisees, arrest him, crucify him. We are so broken. We are all broken. We all could be the one so easily there yelling crucify him but let's learn from that and not do it again I want to be found waving a palm branch shouting Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heaven even when my expectations are off even when I'm searching and listening in the wrong spaces even when I place myself in the space of ruler in my life, I want to repent of this and look to Jesus, palm branch in hand, asserting who he actually is and not allowing the changes of this world, the changes of our society, the changes in our culture to shift that posture. I don't want to hide away. I don't want to back down. And this is the call of the church, that this is the time that we rise up. This is the time that we are found faithful in all areas with our friends, with our family, with our generosity as we prepare and look towards heart for the house, we want to be found faithful. Would you stand up with me today? You know, I wanna take the opportunity before we pray collectively about what God's doing through this this text and this message, I want to pray if you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord, you've never acknowledged him as king, what does this mean? What we're leading up to here, and we're going to talk about more on Good Friday, is Jesus' death on the cross. He died on the cross. This king that just rode in, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, and he made a way for us to have life with him. He made a way for all of the sin, all of the bad things we've done and thought about, to actually be forgiven from us. And to us, for us to have a relationship with such a holy God that we could be accepted by Him and seen as clean. So with every eye closed, if you're here and you're just going, I need, I need to repent, I need to acknowledge that I can't do this on my own. I need to make Jesus king. If that's you, I just ask that you would just raise up a hand. I very simply want to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I see that. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for ever making this decision today. To call you king, to acknowledge you as king. What a celebration. 
I thank you for saving us. I thank you for dying. I thank you for rising again. And I thank you that we can make this choice to turn to you, that you have forgiven us and that you have accepted us completely. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, that's great. It's great news. Just before we go back into a song of worship, I just want to pray. If you're in this place and you're going, man, it's been hard for me to keep Jesus as king, to keep that perspective, to not let my own missed expectations and pride and self-sufficiency get in the way of that. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? If that's you and you're saying this Easter season, as I look towards this coming weekend, I want to be found celebrating. I want to be found excited. I want to be found acknowledging Christ as King. And I need to repent that I haven't always had him in that place. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? I just want to pray with you. That's me as well this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you would come as King, not in the way that we expected, Thank you that you did not come in such a temporary way that it would have actually made no difference for us today. I thank you, Lord, that you came not for a short-term kingdom, God, but for one that would reign forever and ever and ever. And today we repent of the fact that sometimes we have laid down the palm branches, that we've looked to ourselves, that we've questioned you in unhealthy ways. And today we, we assert that you are king lay down our expectations. God, we know that you can answer our questions. We know that you are so kind to us. But today we repent of our selfishness. We repent of our pride and we uplift you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.